What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Base Hit Ball for Glenn Eagers, Tyler Blumenstick, and Scott Roswald here. One week down in the MLB season, there is no shortage of topics and areas of discussion to get to. The Yankees already have problems. Uh, the Mets have had some problems, especially with DeGrom. Arenado hit a big home run in his St. Louis uh, home debut. And yeah, there's just a ton of things happening. Oakland's stumbling out of the gate the Astros hot out of the gate a lot of things to talk about but we will start with the Mets and the ending of the game that happened a few hours ago so the Marlins were heading into the ninth inning up two to one trying to spoil the Mets home opener Francisco Lindor's city field debut and McNeil leads off the ninth I believe he led off the ninth with an absolute bomb into the right field Pepsi porch, Coca-Cola corner, whatever they call it is, whatever they call it now. It's one of those beverages. Um, so the game's tied. And then the fast forward a little bit through the end of the ninth inning, the bases are now loaded one out Michael Conforto at the plate. Now Scott knows this better than anyone because the Mets just played a series with the Phillies. Conforto, it does not look good so far this season. He's struggled. He struggled with men on base. Um, he's in a contract year trying to get that big, big dollar figure that you know his potential um would lead him to get so with a one two count the pitch was a strike it it hit the pitch cast it hit the strike zone it's a strike the umpire started to cock back to do that you know good old-fashioned punch out but conforto very clearly leans in to the strike zone his elbow guard gets clipped And the umpire changes his mind mid-call and says, you're going to go to first. The game's over. The bases loaded. The run scores. Mets win. Don Mattingly, the manager of the Miami Marlins, flips out, and the Marlins are just going crazy. Unfortunately, this is not a reviewable play. And, you know, the home plate umpire got asked after the game by a slew of reporters saying, basically saying, yeah, I fucked up. So a couple ways to kind of talk about this. One, if Cash was here, he'd – He'd freak out because he freaks out over, you know, what the Brewers did in the playoffs. He freaks out about the Astros. This is on that same level of kind of bad, bad for the game. On MLB's side, there has to be a rule change because of this. A baseball game can't end in this fashion. It's it's horrible for the Marlins because they they got up. They played this three hour, three and a half hour game. They battled the entire time and for it to end like that. It's just, it's just a bad look for the game. It's a bad, it's just, it's a bad look around the sports industry. People watching the game, like, oh, how stupid that game ends like that. And then on Conforto's side, you know, it's a integrity of the game kind of aspect to it that you just lean into it. It, it, It's just a bad look all all around for both the Mets, Conforto, and Major League Baseball. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was an interesting play. Um, you mentioned it. He's definitely scuffling out of the gate here. Uh, during that Philly series, he, he struggled a lot with runners on base. Um, has looked kind of lost at the plate, which is kind of surprising because he's a very, very good hitter. Um, I don't know if you saw his, his comments after the game, Conforto's, but you could kind of tell with his like tone and everything that he, he knew what he did. And um, I don't blame him for, for doing it. Um you find a way to win, but I do blame Major League Baseball for for not getting that call right. You said it's a it's not reviewable play, but if we're gonna have replay, you might as well 
be able to replay stuff like that because it was very blatantly obvious that he he tucked his elbow out over the middle of the plate to to get that call. Um, it stinks for the Marlins because in this division, uh, every game is going to matter. And you know what? That could have an effect in September um, on them if they have another good year. It, it's just an unfortunate play. Um, I, I like. If, if they were able to protest that game, like they should have, and they have a good argument, but it, it was just a bad play. Uh, terrible way for any game to end. Yeah, I was actually going to ask before you mentioned it, it did he have post-game remarks? Um, so if he was smug about it, then I'm going to refrain from uh, my devil's advocate that I was planning for this. But yeah, I, I would echo everything that you guys said. Like, I don't blame him for doing it. I, I just, I don't know. I want to pose one question. Like, what would need to be in place? Uh, my guess is it's robotic umps and like a robotic strike zone. But if you were to protest this, like, the pitch was a little high and it was a slider, a, a right-handed slider coming in to a lefty. Would it have been a strike? Yeah, was it over the plate? Yes, but would it have been a strike as far as the letters are concerned? I don't know, but that's but it, 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 it was a strike because the umpire started his strike three call. So obviously he thought it was a strike and it, he yeah, would have but, punched him out. And then I guess it calculated in his brain that he heard like a click from the elbow guard and then he punched him out. So okay. he was, he made the call. That's, so, that's the, I think that's the big problem that Manningley's having is that he's probably arguing, you made the call, stick with your call and then review it. And then when it's now it's reviewable because he called it a strike three and now you've got something you can review on a hit by pitch, you'll clearly see that he leaned into it. Now you yeah. made the call, so it's unreviewable. I think that's the problem. Yeah, that's a fair point. I'm just saying if you want to have like a league-wide review of it and like have it be a rule, you can make it like a judgment call, kind of like you were just saying right there where the home plate umpire has a chance to go back and do it again and basically say like, yeah, I was punching him out. Like kind of like in the NFL, like how they do where the, the referee goes to the monitor. Or if you have a robotic strike zone, you can have it a universally defined length and width to the strike zone. You just go like, was that a strike? Yes, did he lean in? All right, there you go. That's it. Like, I feel like there's two angles you can take to it. It's I read the rule before we went on. If it's a strike, kind of like if you swing the bat and you get hit, it's still a strike. If it's ruled a strike by the umpire and you get hit, the strike supersedes the hit by pitch. Yeah. So if he would have just stayed with the strike three call, it it then the right call is made, and you know it's just it's just a bad mess up by the umpire. Yeah. Yeah, especially since he started to call the strike three and was is you know punch him out like that's a that's a huge turn of events because now it's two outs in the ninth and the Marlins have a chance to to extend that game and go into extras and you know anything can happen from there but the fact that he he changed his call really is the issue. Let's make this a more broad discussion about what an umpire is allowed to review and what he's not allowed to review. The point of replay is to get the call right that went for the NFL when baseball implemented it in 2014 around that time that was the point because there was a lot of controversy over why we have this technology and we're just letting these human umpires make mistakes without any accountability so they put in replay and they made tweaks to the replay regarding the neighborhood rule with force outs at second base it just doesn't make sense to me why quote-unquote judgment calls are not reviewable if we have the technology 
and you're limiting teams the amount of times they can challenge a play. They should be able to challenge whatever they please. I don't understand why there's certain things that are a quote-unquote judgment by the umpire that's not reviewable and something that's just normal in-game, safer out, fair or foul. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of the separation between generations where it's like the old generation is like baseball has like a human aspect to it. Like it's got to have a human element. The umpires are part of the game. They're involved. And then there's the group of people, which I feel like is the majority at this point who just wants to get it right. And I don't know. I feel like that's the divide. I would agree. I think if we're going to have replay, you might as well be able to use it on whatever you think needs to be reviewed. Um, I understand like NFL purposes, like they don't want to review penalties because you can technically say there's a penalty on every single play in football. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Baseball is a little bit different where it's a little more cut and dry. Uh, there's no such thing as a penalty, but like, I, I just, I don't understand why that shouldn't be a reviewable play, especially if it's going to be a spot like that end of the game. Imagine, like, imagine a world series ending like that. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's not likely because it's just like, it's a rare occurrence where that actually happens, but, Imagine Game Seven of the World Series ending like that, with a guy sticking his elbow out to to walk it off on a hit by pitch like that. Like that's just a terrible way for the game to end, whether you win or you lose. Like it's just so anticlimactic. Yeah, there's no penalty no per se. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say we've seen perfect games and no hitters get broken up like that in the past. Yeah, so. I think sure there had a similar situation in a perfect game. It, 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 the pitch was a ball. Like it was out of the zone, but you know, there was a little bit of a lean in or at least at the worst, a not, not a real attempt to get out of the way in that circumstance. But this is much worse because the pitch was a strike according to the umpire who was about to punch him out. Scott mentioned penalties in the NFL that while there is no penalties per se in baseball, what this situation reminds me of is more in the NBA's kind of ballpark when it comes to replay. Scott, you watch the NBA much more closely than I do. I just peripherally watch it. And when the Knicks are good, I'll watch it. Um, but I feel like the NBA has opened it up a little bit more on what you can review. I know for a fact that they've cracked down on, on a three-point attempt. If the shooter swings his leg out to try to get that and one on the three-pointer, that's something that can be reviewed and taken away and actually called a foul on the offensive player. That reminded me of a lot of this conforter rule or, you know, potential conforter rule that baseball could adopt. It's very similar because, you know, in the NBA, you stick your foot out on a three-point shot, you're going to try to get a four-point play. That's not fair because you can't dictate where the defender is going to land. That's not fair. And here as well, pitch was clearly a strike. Who's to say that one day, you know, someone can't even make it even more obvious and just put his hand out and try to catch the ball? Like, what, how does it end? I think, I think if Manfred was smart and, you know, we've been on the show and questioned that time and time again, this is something that should be changed immediately. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a great, great comparison, Glenn. Um, like, I'm like, I'm more a component of like, I don't feel like you have to get out of the way, but like, definitely if you're making the attempt uh, to get hit, like that, that's wrong. Like you shouldn't be able to do that. So I, I do agree. I think there should be something put into place saying this, this is wrong. Like you can't do that. And we should be able to go back and review it. Um, if it does happen, because you know what, if Conforto continues to struggle again. Like, you know, he, and he knows it's not going to get called like, or for any player, it's not really even just Conforto. Like 
anybody can do this and most likely it's not going to get called. So I, I, I do agree. I think there needs to be something, a plan put into action at this point to, uh, to make this change. Well, until that time, the Mets do walk off with the win today against the Marlins division opponent, 18 more games between the two. So Tyler, I'm asking you this, how soon, if at all, will we see any retaliation on the Marlins part? I don't know if we're going to see retaliation necessarily. I feel like it's not the same as like, it's not really disrespectful in a way. It's just kind of like, Oh, you're an idiot. Like, I don't know. It's, it's not like insulting the Marlins. I don't think. Would you do know. it? Would you throw at a, would you throw at Conforto knowing no. he kind of leaned no, into I wouldn't it? Throw at him. Walk it off. I feel like it's more embarrassing than insulting. Like, I don't know. I don't really know how to put a finger on it. I, I feel like it's one of those unwritten rules of the game. You try to get out of the way on a hit by pitch. You don't yeah. intentionally lean into it. That's that's a cop out. Scott, if well, that happens to the Phillies, are you asking Wheeler the next day to throw at Conforto? Yeah, I might be a little more fired up um, <laughs> going, especially if it was the Phillies. Um, I don't know. I think it just spices up the, the next couple of games where I like, you know, the Marlins might, you know, add some antics onto a big home run or just take an extra base. If there's a blowout, like maybe not, you know, take your foot off the pedal. Um, I think it can spice up, you know, the, the rest of their series and, you know, the rest of the season for those, those other 18 games. Um, I don't know if it calls for getting thrown at, um, but because that's something that we don't necessarily want in the game, but I, I, I certainly would not be against, uh, you know, up and in that, you know, a little extra spice on a bat flip, or, you know, a lot more excitement on something that big that happens. It's like a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Like I think the Marlins, and you know, the Marlins are going into the season with a chip on their shoulder because they made the playoffs and everyone's still taking them as the last place team. Yeah. So they feel like they have something to prove over 162. This might be an opportunity for them to be like, okay, we're here in a full season. We're not going to get bullied, and we're going to be part of this division that's going to be very good. Um, At the next same game, time, we- though, Go ahead. like, they did load the bases in a walk-off situation. Like, you can't just point a finger at the Mets and, like, be like, you stole the game from us. Like, no, you gave them an opportunity to even be in that situation in the first place. So – that's I'm fair. not playing a sympathy card for the Marlins or where they're turning around like, oh, we're going to get you guys. Like, I don't know. Like, they might take offense to it, but I don't know. The thing that's interesting about any potential retaliation is that the National League this year does not have a DH. So let's say bottom one, Conforto gets drilled on Saturday because there's an off day tomorrow. Then, you know, the Marlins and the Marlins pitcher don't know who it is off the top of my head. He's going to have to face 102 from DeGrom, and that's not something that you want to do. So – Quickly changing the subject, staying on the Mets, but staying with DeGrom. If we rewind back to the opening day, the Mets opening day got delayed because the Nationals COVID thing, yada, yada, yada. They played open. Their opening night was against the Phillies. DeGrom was what DeGrom is always. He's unhittable, stupid, silly, disgusting, what have you. I texted Scott the minute he got taken out with 70 something pitches after six or seven innings. I was like, Mets bullpen implosion incoming. Now, this is kind of the philosophy throughout the game, especially in April, especially in the beginning of the year when the weather's cold and we're still building up arms. It's not push guys to 100 pitches. But this is something we see from DeGrom every single time. Basically, every single time he's out there, he gets taken out after seven or eight or six. He only has one run of run support. He's given up nothing. 
and then the bullpen just completely blows it. I, this is becoming a unfortunate theme for DeGrom's career. So right off the bat, you know, Luis Rojas is on the hot seat because of this move that he made on opening day. Do we fundamentally have a problem with the way we're protecting pitchers too much? Or do you just think that this is the way it is and we just have to accept it? I mean, I'm thankful it happened, but it, it is an issue. Like going into the game, Rojas said, we're going to try and get DeGrom up to around 100 pitches. This guy's the best pitcher in the game. And over the last, I think since 2018, he's got a losing record in his starts. Uh, but he's got like a two ERA. Like the guy is absolutely disgusting. At one point in the game, he had thrown 40 pitches and 39 of them were fastballs. And he was just blowing away Philly's batters. They had zero chance to win this game if Jacob deGrom went seven innings. Like as soon as he came out, you could just you knew tell, the Phillies were going to win. You, you knew a couple years ago on opening day, the Phillies did the same thing to Aaron Nola. He was in the fifth inning and had thrown 65 pitches and he got pulled, but he was dominating the Braves. And after the game, Freddie Freeman said, as soon as Nola came out of that game, we knew we were going to win. The same thing happened in the World Series this past year. When Blake Snell came out of the game, Mookie Betts said, we knew we were going to win that game. Like These guys are aces they're number ones for a reason let them go like they it's not like he's some schlub that hasn't proven himself yet like let the man pitch like he's deserved every right to go out there and and prove that he's in control of the game until he's not in control of the game i'm with you i don't know i can't really say much more about jacob Degrom. like <laughs> it's the same thing with garrett cole and like i guess i could kind of relate it to the Yankee situation with like judge and Stanton right now and resting players with, we've had two off days already. Today's now the second Yankee scheduled off day and the season started last, what Thursday, Friday. Yeah, It's been a week. So as far as babying professional athletes, I feel like I can talk for hours about that, but like Jacob deGrom was making headlines for throwing 102 miles an hour in spring training. They're like, Oh, he's in mid season form. And then opening day yanked at 77 pitches. I don't know. It's just questionable from Rojas. There's really not much in, there's not much more to it, but like, was he trying to get cute? I'd be more curious to figure out like what, why he did it. Like, was there a planned scheduled pitch count? Probably not. Cause he said he wanted to get him to a hundred. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, I don't think it's a matter of getting cute because when you have Jacob DeGrom, you would want him to go nine innings every time you get cute when it's Taiwan Walker, when it's Marcus Stroman, a guy that's not going to go into the seventh, eighth and ninth. And, you know, the questions that the Mets have with their pitching staff, let's face it, you know, for as big a game that Marcus Stroman talks, he hasn't exactly been an ace in his career. Um, who knows when when and if Syndergaard's going to come back or return to form. Uh, Taiwan Walker's, he's, he's a good pitcher. He's okay. Uh, who, and, of course, the bullpen has been a question mark and a Achilles heel for the Mets forever now, for the last three or four years. So when you have DeGrom, much, more, much like the Yankees, when you have DeGrom and Cole, that's your sure thing. And you need to use those games not only to get length from your starters, get seven, eight, nine, get an automatic win, but to give your bullpen a break. And I know it was opening day, and I know the Mets didn't play a game before because it got canceled. And I know the bullpen was rested because they haven't pitched since whenever their last spring training appearance was. But there's certain athletes and there's certain pitchers in baseball. Cole's one, DeGrom's one. Um, Kershaw in his prime was one 
Um, you can say Nola is approaching there. Bauer, maybe. When you're, you're looking at the pitch count and the innings limit, you throw the analytics out the window because this is your ace. This is your guy. This is your alpha. And there's some guys, in my opinion, there's some pitchers that negate this analytic analytical error in baseball. Yeah, there, there's got to be a, your manager has to have that feel and understanding of the game when you look out there and your guy who's should be probably could have won three straight Cy Youngs is shoving the ball down the opponent's throat to say, you know what, he's going to give us the best chance to win on this given day. Not what this binder next to me says, oh, Trevor May is going to come in and make his Mets debut and be phenomenal like you can't always trust that like like i don't know like let the grom go eight and take your chances with edwin diaz because even though he's questionable at times he still does have great stuff yeah um and at at that point i mean when he came out of the game it was two nothing mets and like they were in control and the phillies offensively like weren't really doing anything. So if they got to the point where it was DeGrom and Edwin Diaz, like who knows, like, especially ninth inning, like that's only three outs to, you know, figure it out. It, it made no sense to me. And just watching the game, it, as soon as it happened, it was, it's, it was, it was a win. We, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. It's so much easier to take him out after eighth and after six, because, you know, if you go by the numbers, if you take him out after six, that means you need nine outs from three guys. Odds are one of them's not going to pitch well. I mean, that's just the way it goes. You can't expect every reliever to be on. So if you give him eight and you're only asking one reliever to be on, that's statistically probably a much better blueprint to winning than relying on three relievers every night, especially when your ace is pitching. They, the, I mean, the, the adage that everyone in baseball says is that, you know, the batting average on the third time around spikes up for any other pitcher. But the third time around against Jacob DeGrom, you're most likely going to have the same outcome as the first time against Jacob DeGrom. You're going to get out. So it's it didn't make sense to me. And, you know, maybe in July they keep him out there. And maybe this is just so. an April thing. I would hope so. But you never know. Um, but it was it was bad. And Mets Twitter freaked out. Um, rightfully so. But it was funny for us who don't like the Mets naturally because we're Yankees and Phillies fans. It was fun for us. But you know, as baseball fans, we want to see DeGrom push it because it's fun to watch. I know Scott was probably not rooting for it in the moment because it was against his Phillies. But if it was, you know, a game against the Royals in May and you you just appreciate DeGrom if you're a Phillies fan, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, Who knows? No, absolutely. I, I do. Um, you got to appreciate yeah. greatness when it happens. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully that this is just kind of like a one-time thing. And Degrom can go eight innings every every start for the rest of the way. Um, let's move on across the river to the Yankees. There's some good things with the Yankees. There's some questionable and concerning things with the Yankees. We'll start with the bad because I'm a pessimist at heart. Um, oh, okay. Their runners in scoring <laughs> position in their home stand wasn't good. Um, I did the math last night. They hit l- under 230 in the home stands with runners in scoring position. Judge is dealing with some mysterious thing. They say he's sore. I took the vaccine this morning. I'm sore. I probably could play a baseball game if I wanted to. So we'll see if there's anything a little bit more than that. He has to play in the turf this weekend in Tampa. We'll see if he skips that series entirely. Who knows? 
Um, Stanton has gone off to a rough start other than the, um, other than the grand slam. And then obviously the kind of main story from last night was Glaber's defense. So around the horn, I'm not really sure which one we're going to start with. I guess we'll start with judge because you know, his health is always at the forefront of Yankee universe. It's, it, it just, it's never easy. It's never easy. Now tomorrow he could be in the lineup for all I know. And this is just a one game off thing, but you know, God, can we ever just like not need to worry about Aaron judge? I mean, even before the season started, he was quote unquote sick under the weather. And then, you know, we watched I watched him on Wednesday, a game that they won. He had that big home run. He wasn't moving around. Great. Kind of didn't give a great effort on the, on a fly ball down the right field line. The Yankees announcers said that he was, you know, business decision, kind of whatever. He ran. I knew he went first to third. They did a replay. Didn't look great there either. Um, It's just, it's nauseating at this point that this guy just can't keep his body right. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I don't have anything else really to say other than like, we our stars are just not stars. Like, I don't know how to put it into words. Like I can only just feel as a Yankee fan, like year in and year out. I just know where we are now and where we have been. And like just being invested, like uh, how long are we going to go being number one in the power rankings in the lineup? Number two, number three, whatever, top three, top five guaranteed every single year. This is the best lineup in baseball. And we try Aaron Hicks out there in the three spot every single night. And when it's not Aaron Hicks, guess who it is? It's Brett Gardner, who I might I must tip my cap to yesterday or two nights ago, if you're watching on the day the pod dropped. Had a pretty good game. I'll give him that. Nice little sack bunt. Nice little hitting. But like but someone who's a bench player shouldn't be put into the lineup and then put third. That we signed him a month and a half ago. We signed him literally a month and a half ago. Like that just shows the priority in bringing Brett Gardner back. And then now he's in the three hole. I don't care who you are, how much you like Brett Gardner, how much you wanted him back, how much you wanted him to go. 90% of people would agree that Brett Gardner is not a guy you want in the three hole. And I just want to, before I pass the baton again here and end my rant, I have this little interactive guide that I built here and I have the Yankees filtered right now. So for average on base percentage slugging and OPS, when I sort for average person at the bottom of the list at 100 is Aaron Hicks. I saw on base percentage guy at the bottom of the list, 217, but I thought he draws walks. I thought he gets on base. I don't know. 20 plate appearances, not happening. Slugging, 100. OPS, 317. Guy doesn't have an extra base hit. He has two hits all year. Why is he in the three hole? And why do we love him so much? I don't know. I'm sorry. And thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be so frustrating for you guys um, and just all Yankee fans that Aaron Judge has all the talent in the world and he's just never there. You can't rely on him to be there when you need him, like just physically. like Because if he is there, he's going to produce. He's going to do his job. Um, it, it's, it's rough because like I don't think of him – as a top tier player in this league, because he's just not on the field enough uh, to go off of, you know, Aaron Hicks hitting left uh, third. It's because he's really the only lefty in the lineup and he's not even a true lefty. He's a switch hitter. Uh, they, they do it just to break up all the bats. Um, 
that's another question I think we can touch on maybe later. Why is he still trying to hit righty? You think he should just be one side? But look, like, listen to this. We, you, he knows the Yankee organization knows how right-handed this lineup is and how badly we need left-handed hitters. We're using him in high-leverage spots from the left side of the plate, and he doesn't produce from the right side of the plate. He's hardly hitting from the right side of the plate throughout the game. So why is he even devoting time to hitting to the right side of the plate when this guy could develop into a pretty solid left-handed bat for the Yankees? Like, he doesn't have a bad swing. When he connects, it goes. He's just not consistent enough. And I think Hicks' problem, I don't think it's his talent. I, th- I don't think it's his ability. I just think he's too tentative at the plate. I think they drilled it mm-hmm. into his mind that you're here to work the count and work a walk. And when, be as Tyler third. said... Yeah, I, I, I agree. But as Tyler said, like he has a pretty smooth swing, especially from the left side. If he would just attack pitches earlier in the count and he can launch some over the right field wall, maybe this conversation is a little bit different. And maybe we're like, maybe it is worth having him third from the left side. But, you know, it doesn't make sense for your three hole hitter to be looking for walks. That's just naturally just the just the definition of a three-hole hitter is not that the definition of a three-hole hitter is to drive the baseball and drive in runs now they they want hicks to be kind of like a leadoff hitter he hicks does walk a lot over the course of an entire season hicks is going to be up there in on base percentage and walks won't be in high on average because he doesn't swing the bat as much as he needs to but he will have a high on base percentage because he walks so what i kind of thought was why not flip hicks and dj if you have dj third who drives the ball all the time with authority and you have Hicks leading off the game, he walks. Then all of a sudden you have judge DJ Stan. I think that's much more beneficial to the Yankees lineup than the current DJ judge and then Hicks and then to get to Stan. I don't get why we can't have judge bat third. Like it's just mind blowing to me that there's even a, there's so many people that can bat third. You can bat Stan third. You can bat labor third. You can bat, um, you can back or Scheller could bat third. Like there's so the Clint Frazier could bat third if he's going well. There's so I, many I three hole hitters on this team. The one guy that's not a three hole hitter is hitting third. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why with a guy like Aaron Hicks, why there's such a problem where people are going back and forth trying to figure out whether he's a good one hitter or a good three hole hitter. If you told me we were deliberating, oh, I don't know where to put this guy, and we just redacted his name completely. Said, I don't know. He's got to hit. He's got to hit leadoff. He, he would really help the team. Oh, but I really like him in the three spot. I would never guess that that guy that you were playing tug of war with is Aaron Hicks of all people on the Yankee roster. Like, give me a break. What is the infatuation with Aaron Hicks? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, he, like he, he's a role player, and they're putting him into high leverage spots. If they just they put him in a different spot takes so much more pressure off of him and then he performs to the a level that is expected for him like he's not a star player like last year Clint Frazier hit at the bottom of the lineup and he got a lot of fastballs to hit and he produced and he like earned his he should have earned his way up the lineup and he opening day he was batting ninth like that that's not right either like there's people that belong in certain spots. If you get what I mean, like, yeah, 
at this point, Brett Gardner should be hitting eighth or ninth when he's in the lineup. Like he shouldn't be getting slid right into the three spot because, oh, that's where Aaron Hicks is in the lineup or that's where like Judge is in. Like that's not how it works. It's not like it's a, a set fixed lineup that you have to build off of every day. Like it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. Like if, if someone's playing well, like bump them up. If someone sucks, bump them down. Like it doesn't need to be. That's the way we've been taught how baseball works. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be scribbled into a stone. It should be, you know, on a whiteboard where, you know, it's almost like on the whiteboard, it has the positions lined up in the order. And then whoever is in that position that day is that batting order. So like Hicks is a center fielder. So if Gardner's playing center, then the center fielder bats third. That's a, it, that's what the Yankees are essentially doing. I would argue that I would rather have Gary Sanchez in the three hole than Aaron Hicks. But he's Sanchez swinging been right good. Now. Yeah, he's swinging the bat. Like, well. He's swinging well. Uh, he didn't hustle on that one play, but or two plays, but you know, he tagged up on a ball um, that was like medium depth to right field. He right did. Center. He did. Pretty good baseball. Yeah, I'll give him that. Let's let's. Let's let's tackle another negative for the Yankees. They they're three and three. Uh, they beat they won the series against Baltimore. They lost the series against Toronto. Whatever, it's gonna happen. Um, something that the Yankees are gonna have year, to monitor, right? and they've been monitoring for a while, is Glaber's defense at shortstop. Now, you got everybody in the world knows that Glaber's my guy. I love him to death, and I would take a bullet for him. But I am the most unbiased baseball fan ever. I am always objective. That was a horrible, horrible error that cost the Yankees the game. I said it. It, it, it. it definitely cost the Yankees the game. It was a play, a routine ground ball that every shortstop in Major League Baseball would make, and any professional shortstop, even collegiate shortstop, would make, and Glaber didn't make it. Now, you can make the argument that, you know, there wasn't an experienced first baseman. You can make that argument. But, you know, a bad throw is a bad throw. This loss against Baltimore is not going to kill the Yankees and torpedo their season, even though in the moment I react like it does. Over the course of the season, though, and as we get closer to the pennant race into the playoffs, Glaber is going to be out there at shortstop. Now, there's a problem because the Yankee, the fan base, and I'm sure you know people, if the Yankees, if you put them on a lie detector, would say they don't necessarily trust Glaber, um, his throws, or getting to the ball. How big of a problem could this potentially be to the Yankees, a team that says they are ready to win a championship? I mean, gotta be concerning. Shortstop is probably your second or third most important position. Um, Catcher being number one. So that's already an issue for the Yankees. Um, So if your second most important fielding position is also an issue, that's a major issue. Um, I, I can definitely make the argument for, you know, you have Luke Voigt there at first base. He makes that play and, and bails Glaber out, but you, you shouldn't it's have not a to, guarantee though. You, yeah. It's not a guarantee and you shouldn't have to always rely on your first baseman to bail you out. Your shortstop needs to be able to make that throw 99 out of a hundred times. Yeah. If Mark Deshera is there, he's, he's going to bail him out, but Mark Deshera is not leaving the, the ESPN booth anytime soon to come play first base. Well, he is because he got fired from ESPN. Oh, is he? I didn't realize he got fired. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so he could be available. He might, you know, walk onto the field, but uh, he's not. Um, Glaber's got to make that play. 
um, in all honesty. It was the catcher that was running, Pedro Severino. So not a guy with a lot of speed. And he he just botched it. And uh, they did come back and tie it up again. But, you know. That's a walk-off of that. Yeah, they, they don't get to that point if he makes that play. Yeah, it's infuriating. I just feel like it goes back to the same issue where, like, they're trying to, I guess, keep people in the lineup and not really care much about the defense and just go with the, hey, we're going to out-hit you strategy, but they're not hitting. And that's where the frustration lies for me, at least, is just, like, if they're going about their plan and, like, making progress towards it, but they weren't as good, then I'd be fine with it. But they're the Yankees. They've gone in a certain direction saying, we're going to do this. We're close. We're close. We're close. And then they just don't perform to their plan. And like, it's pretty disappointing, I guess. I don't know. What do you think the solution is for Glaber? Do you think it's just a matter of he needs to just get the more reps he gets over the course of the summer, he's bound to get better by October? Or do you think this could be a situation where, you know, the Yankees are in the market for a, another middle infielder and they, they move around the infield where, you know, that's the problem. Glaber goes back you... to second. DJ goes to first. What do you think is the more likely scenario? They keep doing that. Like, you can't keep taking hitters out of the field, keeping them in the lineup, and saying, oh, we got a DH spot. Because now we have three people that they would like to use the DH spot on. You throw Gary Sanchez in there if you want to keep his bat in the lineup. It's four guys. Like, I don't know. Unless Rochelle is the, the odd man out, which at this point, I mean, through how many games could be, it's possible. He doesn't really look great. He got banged up yesterday. I don't know. But, like, we also forget that Glaber's also, like, 23, 24 years old. And, yeah, reps might just be the answer. I think that's probably more so the case because he's an athletic guy. He's Glaber Torres. Like, And he's in good shape. He came in good shape this year. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of the more ground balls you take, the better you're going to get. Yeah, I don't really see a reason why he he can't get better defensively. And they kind of have pigeonholed themselves uh, infield-wise because – you know, Gio's great at third base. He's got a great glove. LeMahieu's a gold glove winning second baseman. Voight, is, he's there for his bat. He's not there for his defense. So, like, when he comes back, like, you're, they're going to want to get him in the lineup. It's not like there's a lot of movement that they can make. So, I think they're kind of stuck with Glaber at shortstop, even if they do want to make a move. just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, they're just going to keep running him out there and, you know, he's going to have to sink or swim. I think that's just how it's going to work, at least for the first half of the year. And then we'll see what happens when July rolls around. Um, let's talk about the go with the Yankees quickly because we'll move on to Scott's Phillies and then some miscellaneous baseball stuff to end Half it. Half hour on the bad, quickly on the good. Um, <laughs> yep, that's me. That's me. Um, the Yankees pitching has been fantastic. Cole obviously is great. Kluber pitched well. Tyone coming back after two years off. He's was he was good. The bullpen's lights out even without Britain and without Wilson, who Wilson will be back tomorrow. Britain will be back next month. Um, the big question about the Yankees coming into the season was their pitching, but the first homestand they pitched amazing and the bats were slow. So you got to figure the bats will eventually wake up because they're too good not to. And then if the pitching stays on this level, then you got a pretty good team. Yeah. I mean, I think Scott mentioned it like a while ago when we were talking about bullpens and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said like sometimes, and most of the time, the best bullpen 
comes when it's just a bunch of no-name guys thrown together. Yeah. And, like, that's not what the Yankees' bullpen really is. But, like, at this point in the season with guys out, Chapman came and joined the team a little bit late. Um, I don't know. Like, guys like Michael King stepping up. Like, Luis Sessa, the eternal Yankee, it seems. Like, coming yeah. back in. John, John Lysica, Nick Nelson. These guys that, you know, in previous years come in and you're like, oh, my God, why is Aaron Boone throwing away the game right now? All of a sudden, they've been lights out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though they lost that game on Sunday, you know, Michael King comes in and, and throws six innings and and kind of bailed them out and saved them, you know, going into that Baltimore series to not, you know, they didn't have to use a lot of good guys on that Sunday game where Herman didn't start out well. Um, like that, those are important games, even though it's a loss. Um, Chapman was all over the place last night, but was figured it out was still effective and, and figured it out. Um, and, you know, once you get, you know, Justin Wilson's a very good lefty. Um, he'll be, you know, important in that role. Um, Chad Green is always pretty solid. And Kluber looking good is huge because it was it was a risk. I mean, it was low risk, high reward kind of signing because, you know, the money was low. But, like, if he wasn't right and wasn't healthy, like, and wasn't able to pitch like that leaves a huge hole in the Yankees rotation. Um, but he's looked really good so far. And if, if Tyon can continue to, you know, get better and, uh, you know, be what the pirates thought he was going to be. Um, that's a really good one, two, three plus Severino's coming back at some point this mm-hmm. summer. And we all know what he can do. Um, Pitching is going to win you a lot of games and, you know, Garrett Cole's going to lead the way for them and, you got to, you know, take the positives where they are, especially, you know, early season, like. Yeah, the they're three and three. Yeah, they're, they're three not and in, three. So there's good and there's trouble. bad. Yeah, so the bad has been the offense. The good has been the pitching, and that leads to three and three. So that's just the way they are right now. They take on Tampa this weekend, then go to Toronto, not to Toronto. They go to Dunedin to play Toronto, which is annoying. And then they come home again and play the race. So a lot of divisional opponents early on. I'm not sure if that was COVID related or just how the chips fell. Um, let's talk about the Phillies, Scott. Everything's going pretty well, and I'm very suspicious about it. I'm sure you are too. I'm sure everyone in Philadelphia is looking around like, when's the shoe going to drop? But they've had a really, really good start. Sweeping the Braves. Braves came into the season, you know, in that conversation with the Dodgers and Padres of, you know, teams that could represent the National League in the World Series. So they swept them out of the building. Um, and then they took two out of three from the Mets. And in their two wins, dominated the Mets, um, especially in the rubber game of the series. And then when DeGrom came out, Phillies just completely hopped on the Mets. Like, they were waiting for that to happen. Like, that was their plan all along. But you're getting good starts from Nola and Wheeler. The bullpen that was the reason you guys didn't make the playoffs last year has pitched well. And you're getting timely hits from guys like Hoskins and Real Muto and Harper. Basically, the the blueprint that Joe Girardi wants over the course of this six-month season is what you got week one. Yeah, uh, it's been a phenomenal start the year uh, to the year, uh, especially you know sweeping out the Braves. Um, weirdly, they're the the team that the Phillies have played best against over the last couple of years. Um, they play up to the competition. I think they enjoy beating them. Uh, at Zach Wheeler in his first start was absolutely disgusting. Um, I tweeted it out. I think it was maybe the second most dominant pitching performance I've seen from a Phillies pitcher ever. 
uh, behind Roy Halladay's perfect game against the Marlins. Um, and plus swinging the bat, he drove in two runs um, in that game. Nola hasn't been all the way on yet, but he's won two games or won one game, pitched well and you know, opening day, gave up a, a home run to Pablo Sandoval, of all people. Um, but yeah, the bullpen um, is huge. Bryce Harper has said it multiple times. Like, you know, we keep telling them, just just keep us in games, keep us alive, because we got a lineup that's going to be able to hit at any point in the game. Um, and outside of a, a clunker from Vince Velasquez, who is already on the short end of the stick with this roster anyway, Everyone's pitched really well. Connor Brogdon, uh, Ty, you were making fun of him for his odd-looking body. Um, what do you mean? Oh, is he's the skinny he, dude. Yeah, he's the big, tall, lanky kid. There you go. Um, leads the majors and wins with three already. Um, he's come out and been lights out. Uh, Jose Alvarado, who the, the Rays gave up on, is absolutely disgusting. Uh, throwing 102 um you know, sinkers and like 96 mile an hour, like slider slash cutters. He's kind of terrifying to watch because sometimes it's all over the place, but you know, hitters are scared too. So like it works. Uh, Archie Bradley has been really good. He's a good pickup. Hector Neris is, is shut the door. Um, he's kind of scary to watch sometimes, but you know, they're getting the job done and they look, they look like a threat. Um, and Harper really hasn't started hitting yet. So if if he gets on a roll and gets taught, which we know he's you know perfectly capable of doing, like they're gonna put themselves in a good position, you know, for the rest of the season. Like you don't want to get behind the eight ball in this division. So if you can get out front early, like that that's really important. I agree. They're five and one when they have a plus 10 run differential. Nobody else in the National League has a positive run differential. Scott, who do you think the biggest pleasant surprise has been in this stretch? Has there any been anyone has been outperforming what they normally do? Or is this just a case of everybody doing what their pay, their baseball card says they can do at the same time? No, it's absolutely Reese Hoskins. Um, last year, he he had a good year. He's he had a great rookie season. He came out of nowhere, mashed a ton of home runs, and kind of took a step back. Last year he was having a good year and then got hurt um, with a, a UCL injury in his left elbow, which shortened his season and kind of delayed his offseason progress. But he's been absolutely on fire um, to start the year. He's already got seven extra base hits. He went three for five yesterday with three extra base hits. Um, he's just hitting the cover off the baseball, and he, and he's doing it all over the field. Like he's not just a dead pole hitter anymore. Like he's really learned how to, to go the other way, take what he's given. Um, so if he, with him at the top of the lineup, hitting in front of JT and Bryce, like he's going to get on base. Like that gives them so many opportunities to drive in runs. Um, they the only issue I have with the Phillies right now is center field. Um, that's been an issue for the last couple of years. I, I hope they go out, and make a move to get a center fielder. Um, and if they do that, I really don't see any reason why this team shouldn't be in the postseason and potentially winning the division because with the second worst bullpen in major league history last year, they were still only a game out of the postseason. Like 
that's how good their offense was last year. Like they were right there on the doorstep. So I have no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, there this year. Just in the background. I think my sister just crawled across the floor. <laughs> are we doing? Uh, are we doing? It's all relevant. Glenn, Glenn wants to know if we're doing. It's all relevant, Kelsey. No. No, she said no. I mean, I would. Uh, now it's it's over. <laughs> I, I guess so. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um. Yeah, I think the Phillies have been really good. I was really surprised that they swept the Braves because I was really high on the Braves. I took them to win the division. I think we all did. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Did. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good that, you know, the Phillies are playing well because, you know, I I hate to be a jerk, but like, it's been a severely underperforming franchise for years now with the the money they put into that team last 10 Harper and with McCutcheon and with all the, and Ramiro Muto now, and they brought in Wheeler and they have, they brought in Archie Bradley and they already have Austin Nola who they developed. There's no reason for them with the uh, commitments that they've made to the roster that they shouldn't be a playoff team. Like this should this shouldn't be a surprise. It just is because they've been so disappointing for ten years. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they've all been saying it that it's time. Like yeah, they all they all realize that this is like you know it's put up or shut up time for all of them. Exactly. It's um, almost like the the Phillies and Mets are on that same plane as we think they're going to be good, but until they're good, they're not good. Right now, the Phillies are playing well, and they're good. So that's going to shut up all the haters. Yeah. Tyler, Tyler, you agree? I want to get you in here. I do, I do. I'm happy for Scott. I really am. Appreciate that. I am too. I don't like Scott miserable. I don't like him upset. I wanted Scott to be happy. Thank you. Like, I'm I have another glad. fan that's a Phillies fan. I have another Philadelphia fan that I don't want to be happy. <laughs> but I'm happy for Scott. Thank you. When we're sitting here in our frustration, it's just good to know that after Scott went through – Probably worse than what we're going through right now, and now gets to. Just I think see worse than what we've ever side. been through in our lives. You guys have never seen a losing season. <laughs> this is pretty bad. And you guys are having meltdowns on opening day. Um, yeah, Scott laughs at us on Twitter. Like he does. Like you, these kids don't even know pain. It gets frustrating sometimes to be friends with you guys. Um, just with all the, <laughs> all the pain that I, I've gone through with all of my sports teams. Um, but yeah, it's just good, and and to, like with the comparing the Phillies and the Mets, like even if, like as a neutral, taking a neutral look at it, like I would still never trust the Mets. Like even like with what yeah. the Phillies have shown, like you can you can trust that you can kind of buy into that. With the Mets, it's still just like I don't trust that team to do anything. So it, it's just it's it's good. That's all that I can really say. It's just good. It seems good. It really uh, does. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? God bless, Scott. I hope, really hope Philadelphia has a fun year for you. Now, I hope it doesn't end like 19 because they started off well in 19 and they completely collapsed in the second half. So yes. you, can't, you, you can't trust it until September's over. We say, see where we are in the standings. Um, looking at the standings now, I'm just going through the teams. I want to see if there's any noteworthy things before we get into winners and losers. Um, there's a couple. Let's talk about um, the – Padres because they Padres were a hot team all winter made a lot of ton of splashes they're playing well they're four and three they're only a game out of first with the Dodgers I feel like an idiot talking about how many games they're out on April 8th but you know I'm gonna do it anyway um the big problem with the, the Padres is obviously 
the Tatis injury. So he dislocated his shoulder, swinging, swinging a bat. Um, we don't really know how long he's going to be out. The Padres are hoping that they're just going to take it like 10 days, reevaluate, can't lost my train of thought, reevaluate. And then hopefully soon after that, he'll be back. But there's also an opportunity. There's also a potential where he needs to get shoulder surgery and he's shut down for the year. Now, everyone fell in love with Tatis last year. Everyone fell in love with him again over for the winter when he signed that contract. He's the cover of MLB The Show. He's one of the faces of the game. And the hype train was out in full force for him over the last six, seven, eight months. This is a devastating blow. If he's out for a long period of time, this is a devastating blow for not only the Padres, who had very high hopes this year for the first time in a long time, but just the sport in general, because the sport needs him to be that you know young electric shortstop that he was last year. Yeah, I hope he's healthy. I think the the positive is it's it's the left shoulder, um, so he he might be able to get away with with not having to do surgery until the off season. But yeah, it definitely sucks um, for him not to be out there on the field because you know he's only destined to do great things, and he's what twenty two years old, twenty three, yeah. like. He's, it's only going to get better. Um, the, the only positive thing is, you know, you still have Manny Machado there, on, you know, on the left side. Uh, you can slide Jake Cronenworth, who was third place in Rookie of the Year voting last year, over to shortstop, and then you you can play the the Korean transport in uh, in Ha Ha Song Kim, and see what you have in him. But um, yeah, it sucks for him to go down this early in the year. I was very excited to watch Padres baseball this year. And I feel like up until his, uh, his final moment, he, he, he smacked like a rocket to left center field. Like, I think it was the game before. I don't think it was the game. He did get hurt. Cause that was early in the game. Yeah. Right? It was the game before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing. I mean, is this the start of the MLB, the show curse? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not too. Uh, that could be. I, the game didn't even get released yet. Yeah. True. Like the game didn't even get released yet. He's already potentially out for the year. That would just be horrible. And it so might, might make me get the digital version because if he's going to be out for the year, why would I get the. Um, what was that? If he gets surgery and he's in a sling, does yeah, MLB exactly. the show yeah, have to pull surgery. like a Brett Favre, um, like Packers to Jets, like cover swap and just oh give him a sling God, on the would, cover? That, that was embarrassing. That, that, was, that was bad. Um, so, yeah, you cross your fingers and hope that um, Tatis is okay. Um, I don't know if I'm in the majority and minority in this with the Padres, but I think even without Tatis, they're still a very formidable team. I don't think they'll catch the Dodgers without Tatis. I don't think they'd catch the Dodgers with him, but they're still a playoff caliber team for sure without Tatis, with guys like Machado and Hosmer and Will Myers and you know Tommy Pham and the pitching that they brought in. I think they're still a very good team even without Tatis, but you know Tatis is the rock star in that team. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. No, go. I just feel like the lineup does look a little weak. Like, I don't I have a tickle in my throat. I don't really know what it is. And I feel like it's the presence of Tatis and the energy that he brings to that lineup. Not necessarily just like one man in the leadoff spot, the two spot, the three spot, wherever they put him. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems very, not very depressing, but it just seems like. Something's missing, and something is indeed missing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting how they adjust. Yeah, it definitely shortens their lineup a little bit. 
and puts a little more pressure on Eric Hosmer to step up on Tommy Pham, on Will Myers uh, to be better. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're still – it's still a good lineup, and I do agree with Glenn. Like, if he were to be out for the season, um, they could definitely still be there because their pitching is going to be good, and they're still going to hit. Like, they could still be there. I don't think it's a lock like it would have been before, but uh, it's it's still – you know, they could definitely be there. But it definitely opens up the door for other teams to to make a push and make a run for that second wild card spot. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you, Ty. It does, does weaken them. I'm a it... little scared, honestly. Like, I feel like Machado, maybe not Machado, but I would even throw him in there because, I don't know, he's like he's like an energy kind of guy. And same thing with, like, Hosmer and Fam. Like, that lineup last year came into the spotlight because of the energy that they brought. And they play free-flowing, and they were the Slam Diego Padres, like, they coined a nickname, like they were on fire, they were rolling, they were going. And like, I don't know now, like when they all look in the mirror and say like, all right, we're without Tatis, like it's go time. Like multiple people need to step up. I don't know if this is a lineup that prevails under these circumstances. From what I've seen since, I don't really know. It's only been like a game or two, but still, I don't know. Yeah, they lost to San Francisco their last time out, three to two. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's the quote-unquote captain of the team he's the the leader so wherever Tatis goes the Padres were gonna go and they're gonna have to regroup without him um not every day you see a team in baseball lose their you know inarguable was successful um but we'll see we'll see if that if he's out for the year at the deadline if they get a shortstop to rent kind of like how the Dodgers did when they lost Seager and they brought in Machado. So we'll see what happens with San Diego. Let's move on to the Cincinnati Reds. Never thought I'd talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Killing it. Five and one. Dismantled Pittsburgh. um, Fighting St. Louis. This team for real? Or do you think this is just a hot start and they'll come back to earth? It's Nick Castellanos' world and we're just living in it. That's And I firmly believe it. I don't know. It's... Scott, you, you have anything on the, on the Reds? Yeah, like Cassianos is a guy that in the past he's shown flashes, but he's never done it like consistently over a full yeah. year. Um, so if they can get that from him, that, that's huge. And like they're getting flash in a pan from Tyler Naquin as well, like a guy who the Indians uh, uh, non-tendered and let walk. Um, and then rookie Jonathan India playing second base is hitting like 478 and driving in a ton of runs. Plus, they got, you know, Luis Castillo and, uh, you know, Sonny Gray's down right now. Um, so, if they can get Sonny Gray, keep the momentum going by the time they get Sonny Gray back. We've talked about it. Like, the, the Central's kind of open. Um, and, you know, they punched the Cardinals in the mouth to start the year as well. So, and we all thought the Cardinals were the, by, you know, by far and away the best, you know, team in the division. I wouldn't rule it out, but I also do think it's, you know, you're playing the Pirates. Um, guys start out the year hot and kind of come back to earth. But if they can sustain, you know, they're going to regress. But, like, I don't see why they couldn't. Like, they they have a good lineup. I We talked about it last year. Like, they had a good lineup until they got into the postseason. And when things went bad, we all kind of, you know, jumped off the ship and said these guys suck. But, like, they don't suck. 
they have good players. So I, agree. I don't see yeah. a reason well, why not. Say it's a good story because we like to see teams that normally wouldn't we weren't th- thinking would be good to be good. And the Reds right now are that team. Tyler, did you have another thing to add on Cincinnati before I move yeah, on? Yeah, it was like I think it was MLB the show 2016. I did an online franchise and I was actually the Reds and Ooh. my very young prospects, two of them, Jesse Winker, Nick Senzel, those were the guys. So like <laughs> I don't know, this is the time. This is what they've been waiting for. This is it. These, are, this, these guys have been in the pipeline. Working for. This is what you have been working for ever <laughs> since 2016. I build them up. But, like, the Reds are a team that should take advantage of the Padres being down if they if they do, mm-hmm. you know, play down. Like, the Reds should be one of those teams saying, oh, hey, here's our chance to get back to the postseason and, you know, prove everyone wrong from last year. Um so good for them. Good start. I have a couple of them on my fantasy teams, and I'm enjoying it. So I'll, I'll take it. Let's uh, let's tackle two more teams before we get on to winners and losers and wrap this up for the week. Um, kind of intertwine them together. So the AL West, the Astros are five and one. Um, we were we we we're all low on the Astros, not only because of the scandal. That's we we've said that. I think I had them number show. one or two. But or, well, I was low on them, and Cash was low on them, and Scott was low on them. Oh, you did say um, weird. Okay. If I remember. Sorry. But, and then Oakland, a team that a lot of people pick to win the division, are one and six. What's more likely to keep up? The Astros' success or the Athletics' complete failure? Astros, I mean, wait, you, what was the question? More likely What's to more keep likely up? to s- sustain? The oh. Oakland struggles or the Astros' success? The Astros' success, for sure. Okay. Tell me why. Well, the Oakland's really struggling. And like they're yeah. not as they're not one in six bad, one in five bad. Like they they're 90 game winners the last couple of years. Like maybe not last year. They didn't even play 90 games. What a shame. But like I I don't know. Like the Astros are still the Astros. Like they're good. Jose Altuve is back. Like the guy is having fun. Um Brantley's been in and out of the lineup. Yuli Gurriel started out the season in like the seven or the eight spot. They moved him up to like the two and the three and rewarding him for hitting like a manager probably should. Um, Yeah, they're just rolling. They kind of have that vibe, like the free flowing fun vibe and where everybody else is kind of pressing a little bit. They're just like, Hey, we have nothing to lose now. Let's go play baseball. And they are. So I don't know. Yeah. So I could definitely see, a, you know, a scenario where the the A's do continue to struggle. Like, I, I think losing Liam Hendricks is huge, especially when you bring in Trevor Rosenthal to replace him. And now he's on the shelf for at least the next two months. Um, plus, you know, Marcus Semien's gone over to the Blue Jays and he's had a really good start to the year. And you replace him with Elvis Andrews, who's on the back end of his career. Like, I can definitely see a situation where the A's – struggle and you know really don't make any noise um the astros are off to a great start like bregman altuve uh brantley guriel as you mentioned kyle tuck like they're gonna hit so whether or not they pitch you know at all and another weaker division where it's open like there's a lot of hype around the angels but they still haven't proven it like should be the Astros division as of right now, it's the Astros division to lose with the way that they've come out the gates. 
Um, right now, Oakland and Houston are playing again. So a lot of these, a lot of turnover in April where teams play a lot, each other a lot at, in like small sample sizes. So oh, Houston's winning one nothing. Um, my answer, I'll go Houston's success is less likely to be sustained just based on looking at the Astros. I mean, not the Astros, the athletic schedule. They went from Houston, who's hot, obviously, who we're just talking about it. So that kind of like cancels to that, in my opinion. You got a hot team, you got a cold team. Um, and then they have to play the Dodgers in between. And that's tough to start a year. Um, they're not going to play the Astros and Dodgers every single time out for the rest of the year. That's not how the schedule works. So I think when they start playing the bottom or team, the bottom teams in the central and bottom teams in the East, and then in their own division and then interleague, I think it, they'll, um, they'll ascend more towards what we've been accustomed to them seeing uh, accustomed to that accustomed to seeing them over the past few years on the Astros side. I just, you know, with, you know, they have Granky there, but like without Verlander, and without, you know, obviously Cole's gone and without Springer, I just feel like eventually that's going to bite them. I, I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. Um, but I just think that, you know, the Astros, I've said this before, I just think that that roster from t- 2017 is just slowly chipping away and they're all moving on one by one. I think if not this year, next year or the year after, I think that, you know, it's going to be a new generation of Astros. But if they can replenish and they can reload, then more power to them. But on April 8th, I'll say that the athletics have a better chance of improving than the Astros do at just completely running away with things. Um, Let's do winners and losers now because we're an hour in. Um, I'm still thinking, so I'll do it to Scott because I know Scott's excited for this segment because he texted us a couple days ago saying he already had it. Yeah, I, I did. I did already have it. Uh, so my my winner of the week is uh, is Akil Badu. I uh, oh my, my god, I I mentioned him at the the end of our uh, central preview last week. Twenty uh, two year old kid, never played above a ball. Is part of the twin system. Uh, Rule five pick for the for the Tigers. Major league debut. First pitch he hits, he hits a home run. Second game, he hits a grand slam. Third game, he he gets a walk-off uh, winner. Um, he, he's still hitting the cover off the baseball. The kid's got a ton of talent, and I'm, I'm he's in a great spot with the Tigers being so poor that he's going to be able to chance get the chance to play. Um, I, honestly, I think they should be you know playing him every single day until he proves that you know he is not it, but. From what we've seen so far, he he looks great. Uh, so, my my uh, you know, applause for Akil Badu. My loser of the week is uh, something that you guys all saw on opening day. Is the fan that tried to steal the ball out of Aaron Judge's mm. glove? Yeah, clown. Like, how how much of a loser are you? Maybe that, that you, got him hurt. Maybe he, it could have. And you know, that guy should feel bad. If anybody knows who that guy is, you know, Make teach fun him. Of him. Teach, teach them some etiquette. Like we've only, you were only out of the stadium for a year. Like you forget how to act as a human being to, you know, not trying to attack a baseball player for. Yeah. For it looks ball. like a, a, a kid late teens, probably maybe in his twenties. Like this is not an eight year old that doesn't know any better. Yeah. It was definitely, a, definitely a, a, an adult male that knew what he was doing. Silly. I agree a hundred percent. He's my loser of the week. Um, Tyler, are you thinking because he stole your winner? No, um, no, I'm just gonna go to my uh, my little fantasy friend, Yerman Mercedes. 
Um, All right. Yeah. Absolute masher. Like, unbelievable. I watched this guy on opening day, and I was like, is this flash in a pan, or do I go pick this guy up in fantasy? And he's literally my Cinderella story, and he takes me to the promised land. I picked him up, and I have not been Good disappointed. I'm very happy for you. He had a, he had a 485-foot home run today. Yeah, and I had him on the bench in favor yeah, of loser for Severino by accident. Um, Ooh, my loser. Nice. Um, hmm. Let me. We got to prepare. We got to prepare for these. Things. I know we got to prepare. We got to prepare. Um, there's a lot of losers that we could probably go around here. There's uh, so many the losers. Guy. So many. Um, the first person that I'm gonna call a loser today is. Are you going um, on your fantasy team? No. Uh, uh, you know what? Yeah, Marcelo Zuna absolute loser <laughs> has not done anything the braves haven't done anything um very disappointing i picked him probably like pretty high up third fourth round in fantasy yeah. draft and uh just not playing well and, and for the Braves, not working around, out so far say it again long season though long i'm in season. last place okay. like dead last oh good good i'm glad you're in last place um my winner is trey mancini what a story that is right um yes. coming back from cancer obviously getting standing ovations everywhere he goes obviously him being on the field is a miracle. Any production that he's going to provide this year is even better. Um, so obviously everyone, I can speak for everyone on the show when we say that we're very happy that Trey Mancini's back in a Baltimore uniform. Um, my loser is baseball. I hate this extra inning rule. I hated it last year. I hate it this year. A complete waste of time. It makes a mockery of the game. You wait, you, you go to a game or you watch a game on TV. You commit three hours of your life to a game only for a gimmick right off the bat in the 10th inning. Now, maybe going forward in the future, starting next year, the year after that, I'll concede to the, maybe it started at the 12th inning, but, you know, because, you know, nobody wants to be there for six hours. Um, but to start it right off the bat in the 10th inning is just stupid. I hate it. There's nothing about baseball I hate more than this extra inning rule. Um, I don't like the double headers either with the seven innings. I think baseball is nine innings. Even if, if it's two games in a day or one game, it's nine innings. Um, I don't know which one I don't like more right now because the Yankees lost two extra inning games. Um, I'm going to say that I don't like the extra inning games more. Um, so that's my that's my loser. I don't know if you guys agree. Um, Scott, Scott, it hasn't hurt you this year yet, but I cannot. I can't take it. I, I don't know if I can handle a whole year of this extra innings. I, I hate it too. It, it did happen on opening day, uh, actually for the Phillies. Oh, you won. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They, they won. So, you know, it doesn't affect me as much. Um, but you know, when you lose, it sucks and you hate it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm all with you. It's one of the worst things that I I've ever experienced and I want it to go away so badly. I don't like the rule, but I also on the same side, don't think there's an excuse for any major league roster to not get that run across with a man on second, nobody out. But if there's no excuse, then, you know, it's going to happen in the top and the bottom. We're just going to go all night. That's what I'm saying. If, if they're playing baseball the correct way, you should be able to score that run every single inning. Yeah. I watched Jose Altuve take batting practice at Yankee stadium before the game one time, getting outside fastballs, literally placing them like he was taking a pitching wedge right behind first base. These guys know where they want to hit the ball and they're capable of it. They just want to smack the ball over the fence or they just want to rip a double in the gap and, and have everybody run out, bring out the Gatorade cooler. I don't know. Bunt the guy over, hit a sack fly, 
and then live to see another day. Not enough teams, away teams at least, or even home teams. Like, all right, yesterday, for example, the I mean, the Yankees did it, so this is kind of a moot point, but, like, they didn't win the game. 4-3 Baltimore, bottom of the ninth, or bottom of the tenth. Teams should not go for Gardner. a win in the bottom half of the tenth, or whatever the inning was. It was, like, 12-13, I don't know, whatever. Enough home teams should take the tie and keep pitching. Yeah. Like, continue the game. Like, that should be goal number one. If you can scratch that second run across, fine. But you should just go until you have a home half of the inning where the game is tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know what I mean? Michael K was saying that. I don't know who their color analyst is. I don't watch a lot of Yankee games. This is David Cohn. Um, but they're saying that. Like, the away team is – should be more willing to go for a big inning versus the home team should be more willing to play small ball and just kind of keep the game going for sure. Cause yeah. they have that opportunity. Like you, you have that advantage of hitting last. Like they should do that. And you're right. Ty. Like it's surprising that teams don't do it more. Like you're, you should be a guaranteed run every single time. Yeah. I think it's also the pitching aspect where it's like, if you're, being okay as an organization with just prolonging the game saying like, Hey, we'll keep going tit for tat inning for inning. Like we'll play till the 20th inning, but like you're stretching your bullpen out like ridiculously if you're okay with that. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Teams might want to just be like, Hey, you know what? It's regular season. We'll chalk it up. We'll take a loss. And then that's it. I, I, I can't stand it, but you know, I'm praying that it's just for this year and it's still kind of like a COVID kind of sit, kind of role, but We'll say, we'll say. I don't really trust the commissioner, but it is what it is. Um, do we have any other noteworthy? Uh, Arenado hit a big home run in his Cardinals debut or his home Cardinals debut. Um, anything we uh, left yeah, out before I, we go? I got something for you guys. This is uh, this is oh, we... new news uh, from new the news. from the Athletic and Ken Rosenthal. Um, so I guess in March during spring training, Major League Baseball sent out a memo saying that they were going to be inspecting and taking a closer look at doctoring up baseballs and uh, using foreign substance. And uh, Trevor Bauer has already had multiple baseballs submitted by the, by the league for inspection uh, from his start on Thursday, where there was visible markings and the baseballs were sticky. Um, oh, Jesus. So our, you know, one of my favorite people, Trevor Bauer, I mean, obviously I don't think much is going to come from this. They can't really prove that he did anything um, at this point. Just have him admit it. That's it. But, yeah, um, that's that's going on right now. Trevor Bauer is getting some baseballs looked at for for scuffing them up potentially. So we'll see if that uh, leads to anything over the next couple days. Um, Yeah, that's something to pay attention to because, obviously, Trevor Bauer – He's a very colorful character in Major League Baseball, and I'm sure he's going to have a vlog about it. So we'll see. Um, we didn't talk about the All-Star game, um, but it's moved. And that it is what it is at this point. And that's it. Hey, home run derby is going to be great. So that's all yeah. I can say, really. It's going to be fun. So, yeah, so derby. whether you agree or not, it's in Colorado. So that's basically – that's all I want. That's all <laughs> – we talked about it enough. It's a really chat, good so. stadium it's for an All-Star News game. that we should – news that – you know, we'd be remiss not to share on the podcast. Um, Tyler, do you have anything else before we go? I do not. We're good. Okay, great. That's awesome. 
Hopefully next week we'll have cash back. That would be sweet because I'm sure he had an opinion about uh, Conforto and um, everything that we talked about, but you know, we'll get that next week. But until then, enjoy week two of Major League Baseball. We're all so excited that it's back. Um, the Yankees play the Rays and Blue Jays next week. The Phillies are playing. They are playing the Braves in Atlanta. Nice. The Braves in Atlanta. Oh, wait, I'm doing that game on Saturday. I'm working on that game. <laughs> so that strike zone will be me. So all complaints, okay. Scott, text I, me. Okay? I will be sure to text you on Saturday. Okay. During that game. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, that will just do it for this episode of Base Hit Ball 4. For Tyler Blumensick and Scott Roswell, my name is Glenn Zanigas. We will see you next week and enjoy the new season.